Hello, how y'all doing today? I'm your host, Christopher, and today I'm going to be coming from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. And they read, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. First, we're going to see what a key is. A key is a small thing that unlocks a small thing that enables us to open a big thing. Or it's a small thing that unlocks a small thing that it will keep a big thing from being opened up unto us. And all doors that lead into a place where valuables are stored usually have limited access or they are only accessed by keys. It's just like a mother who has a lot of valuable jewelry that has daughters who like to play dress up. They will keep their valuables that they don't want to get ruined under lock and key. So it is with the kingdom of God. He hides keys in scriptures for those that would take the time to search through scripture and have their understanding enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And they may be able to find those things that we call keys. I want to start by saying before there can be a key, there must be a revelation. And it's not who men say that I am, but it has to be who you know God to be. You see, from the outside looking in, I can say God is my provider, but the world may see it a different way. They may say I go to work, so I provide for myself. But for a true believer, our revelation of who God is will change with the encounters that we have with him. For instance, when you go through heartbreak and come out on the other side, you will know him as a comforter. Or if we get stricken with infirmities and beat the odds, we know him as a healer. You see, the more he opens himself up to us, the the more names we will have for him through encounters and keys have the ability to give you the same results over and over again because they give you access to the same door whenever you choose to access it. A key is not something everyone has. Like, would you take your house key and give it to someone that you don't even know? No, you would not. But the keys to the kingdom are there hiding in plain sight for whomever would study to show themselves approved. As I venture into this newfound freedom that keys give, we will not only see the doors that keys open, but gates also. I know that when we think about keys, we only think of doors. But this passage of scripture says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In fact, Jesus is not talking about doors at all. He is talking about keys to a kingdom that not that only few will access. For the Bible says that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that lead to life and few be there that find it. So the keys are necessary for accessing the things that pertain to life. What is one key that we know of off the top of our heads that pertain to life? This is the key of prayer, not coupled with fasting, only prayer. Prayer and fasting together work a lot of things when we look in scripture. When the disciples couldn't cast out a demon, 
Jesus said to the father, bring your son to me. And Jesus rebuked the deaf and dumb spirit and the son was healed. But when the disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't cast it out, Jesus told them these only come by prayer and fasting. That's a whole different set of keys. I'm talking about the key that saves life. The key of prayer. We see when Peter went, when Peter went to prison and Herod was going to kill him, but the consistent prayer to God by the church brought him out. Prayer went up and an angel appeared to him at night. And he thought it was a dream being bound with two chains between two soldiers and guards were before the door, keeping the prison. Then behold, the angel of the Lord stood by him and struck him on the side and raised him up. And the first thing prayer did was to cause the chains to fall off, giving a sense of freedom, but not yet free. And the angel told him, put on your sandals and garment. In other words, gird up and follow me. And they passed the first and the second guard post, which felt like freedom. But they kept walking and came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened on its own accord. And they went out. And this is the danger of not praying a thing all the way through. You see, it looked like he was free until he got to the iron gate. And this is the facade the enemy will give to the people of God. We will have a sense of freedom, but never walk into the city. The iron gate is principalities, wickedness in high places. And it takes unfailing prayer to open that gate, to move those principalities. It takes relentless prayer in spite of. You see, the king had locked Peter up in prison. This wasn't the magistrate. This wasn't a a mere soldier this wasn't this wasn't the sheriff peter was going to die at a set time but prayer provoked the angel Prayer provoked God to move in spite of the king's intentions. They went down the street and the angel departed and Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and the expectation of the Jewish people. And there are people who don't want you to make it. There are people plotting your demise, looking for ways to set traps and snares for you to fall into. But Peter came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, where many were gathered together praying and Peter not at the door of the gate. And a girl came to answer it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And they said, you foolish girl, it must be his angel. But the girl kept insisting and Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door, they were astonished because they had no idea prayer was so powerful. They found a key that preserves life. And we see a key that opens the gates to freedom and destroys the enemy for an angel struck Herod and he was eaten by worms and died because he got beside himself and allowed the people to praise him as a God instead of referring them back to the one and only true living God. The key of prayer provoked God and caused the angel to respond. Then it loosed the chains of bondage and let him out into a broad place, opened the iron gate and removed his enemy forever. A key is most powerful when used in its full potential. This is what the disciples made their go-to anytime they had to make a decision. They were given over to prayer. Fasting is a way to maximize the potential of prayer. We even see what happens when 
praise is coupled with prayer. When Paul and Cyrus were in prison, they prayed and sang hymns in praise to God. There was an earthquake. Prayer caused doors to open. Chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from his sleep, saw the doors open. Suppose the prisoners ran, drew his sword, was about to kill himself. But prayer preserved life once again. Praise is what caused the disruption in the spirit. It caused the earthquake. We also see where praise went before Judah and caused a great victory in the wilderness of Tekoa, where Jehoshaphat said, Hear, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. And he appointed those that should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and were singing. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And as they sang, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, all who came against Judah and the people of Jerusalem. And they were defeated. Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and to destroy them. And when they made an end of Seir, they destroyed one another. And when Judah and Jehoshaphat came to the place of battle, everyone was destroyed. All they had to do was gather the spoil which took them three days to do. The key of prayer is powerful all by itself, but when you couple it to praise, you have a phenomenon that can't be explained. What if prayer and praise were our habitation? What would our homes look like? Our cities, our nations, what would they look like? Keys are powerful, but they take consistency to yield these types of results. I know they seem impossible, but the more time you spend in them, the more encounters you will have with God. The more names you will give him sincerely. I'm just scratching the surface here. There are so many keys in the kingdom that gives us access to realms and dimensions we know not of. They empower you to bind and to loose, to walk in and out of doors you never had access to. We can stand up and gates that paralyze men with fear. When Jesus retrieved the keys, he gave us our lives back as it were intended to be from the beginning. The only way we are defeated is by slothfulness on our part, the lack of consistency. The Bible says my people perish from lack of knowledge, but we arise by excess of keys. There is a version of you that you see in your visions that has not yet manifested. And though you think your time has arrived, but if you don't see what the vision entails, you are not yet there. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. If you do, you deceive yourself. There is a place that God is calling us into the million dollar question. How do we get there? By doing what the disciples did. Give ourselves over to prayer. There is nothing God will withhold from those that walk up right before him. Fasting, prayer, and praise are just the tip of the iceberg that sank the Titanic. There are things that these will do that faith alone will not. We must understand the leverage we have in the spirit. There is a key in resistance. If we will resist the devil, he will flee, but only for a season. You see, his aim is to steal, kill, and to destroy. The only reason he comes is to steal your joy, kill the vision, and destroy the promise that God gave you. He can and he will. He cannot be foolish of the enemy's devices. Standing is a key. If you want to see the salvation of the Lord, 
word stand, which comes by being prepared with the armor of God. Every attack comes against the thoughts. For God said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. The enemies objective is to plant thoughts to deceive you. The Bible says in the last days, if you are not careful, that even the elect will be fooled by images and thoughts projected at us by the enemy. We will have us thinking that only God can do those things. People will have the appearance of God and they will look like they are anointed by God, doing signs and wonders. But if you don't know how to try the spirit by the spirit, you will be fooled. You see, the Antichrist can't pronounce that Jesus is Lord. If he does, he would divide the kingdom of darkness. The enemy always leads men to himself, never to God. Keys are powerful, but if you don't tap into the truth, you will never be free. For the Bible says the truth shall make you free. The enemy will always seek to keep you bound with lies. Have you thinking, I pray at least three days a week. I read at least two days a week. I'm good. I'm doing good. Good. I'm compared to others that I am good and the enemy's objective is to keep you from growing because growth is intimidating. The more you grow, the bigger you become. The bigger you become, the harder it is to control you. The harder it is to control you, the more likely you are to make an impact in the lives of others. In fact, control of others is a clear indication you are not on the right side of the ball. The Holy Spirit never seeks to control you. That's why God gave us free will to do whatever it is that we want to do. The only thing about that, there are consequences that come along with those decisions. Right now, we are in an age of information. Anything you want to know is at your fingertips, but it's not good to know everything. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. He said that because the need to dabble in everything is not good. We are warned to stay away from idols. Why would we indulge in such behavior? Paul says you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Why would we portray that we are stronger than he is? He didn't do it, neither should we. It's good to know the works of darkness, but it's not wise to find out how to work the works of darkness. We cannot taint our spirit with such foolery, thinking we can control it. I know you want to access realms in the spirit, but we don't want to access the wrong realms in the spirit. The only thing that separates a prophet and a psychic is the spirit of operation. A prophet operates by the Holy Spirit. A psychic operates by a familiar spirit. Same results, different spirits, different realms. The advantage of the prophet is that he can pray against it and lessen the blow by interceding. This is where we are at the cusp of learning what the word of the Lord is able to show us. How it is able to guide us in all righteousness. And the Bible says, in all thy getting, get an understanding. Understand this. Understand how to apply the word to your life. And it will make you wise beyond your years. Y'all have a blessed day.